BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode of With Wit is brought to you by Little James. Little James is the cutest children's clothing line, you guys. I can't believe I just found it. It's so incredibly cute. The creative director, designer, and CEO is fellow Hills alum, Kristen Cavalieri. She designed this because she felt like there was a gap in the children's apparel market. She was inspired to create a collection of clothing tailored to the modern mom, like us, and her active kids. It's adorable. Sunny just got the cutest two-piece set. It's like a charcoal gray t-shirt with a really cute sun pattern on it and matching pants. It's so adorable. And they also make like the cutest faux leather jackets and vests. He loves it. I love it. He looks adorable. And I feel good about it because it's also made with eco-friendly fibers, quality fabrics, and really cute hand-drawn patterns. It's a brand that offers simple, economical, and versatile options for babies, toddlers, and growing children. It's inspired by her three adorable kids, Camden, Jackson, and Sailor. So you know this really comes from the heart and it's everything that she would obviously put her little kids in. If you guys are looking for some new duds for your kids, head to littlejamesclothing.com and use code WITHWIT20 for 20% off. Again, visit www.littlejamesclothing.com and use code WITHWIT20 for 20% off. Now let's get into our combo. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV, and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off-limits. Hi, everyone. Welcome to With Wit. Last year, I attended the amazing event Move for Minds, which is put on by the amazing Maria Shriver and the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. This event educates the public on the latest in Alzheimer's research and provides information on lifestyle changes to optimize brain health. I unfortunately lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's disease, and it was completely devastating to experience and to watch her decline. Once I learned there were preventative measures that could be taken, I knew I had to educate myself further. For me and for my family and for all of you guys, 
My guest today, Dr. Lisa Mosconi, is another admirable woman working hard on Alzheimer's research. Dr. Mosconi is a director of the Women's Brain Initiative and associate director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic at the Weill Cornell Medical College, where she serves as an associate professor of neuroscience in neurology and radiology. She is the author of the new book, The XX Brain, the groundbreaking science empowering women to maximize cognitive health and prevent Alzheimer's disease. I know we are about to learn a lot. So without further ado, here is Dr. Moscone. Hi, welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I'm I'm really happy to be talking with you today. You know, this is something that actually runs in my family and something that I think runs in many people's families, unfortunately, and obviously affects women the most. I want to start off by talking about why it's happening in women the most. Why Why are we prone to this more than men? So that's a really good question, and there is no universal consensus on the answer. However, I've been looking into this for about 20 years because I have a family history of Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. like you have. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother was one of four siblings, three sisters and one brother. And all three sisters developed dementia and died of it, whereas no. the brother did not. So interesting. So terrifying. And I'm I'm from Florence in Italy. Mm-hmm. And especially back then, we did not have anything like assisted living. Right. So your grandparents live with you pretty and much. That becomes your entire world. That becomes really the the thing you have to address. Mm-hmm. And of course, my mom was the primary caregiver mm-hmm. and that took Likewise. a toll mm-hmm. on her. But you also think as a granddaughter, you experience that you're trying to help your mom and you worry about your mom and you're worried about your grandma and then you worry about yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I decided to look into that. And back then no one was talking about Alzheimer's disease in women. Mm-hmm. Even though we have known for a long time that Alzheimer's disease affects more women than men. Currently, almost two-thirds of all Alzheimer's disease patients are women, at least in the United States, mm-hmm. which means that for every man suffering from Alzheimer's, there are two women. Mm-hmm. And upsettingly enough, for a long time, people would just kind of explain it away by saying that, well, live, women live longer than men. And Alzheimer's is a disease of old age, so mm-hmm. it makes sense. The more women than men have Alzheimer's, right. that's just not a question worth studying. Mm-hmm. Right? But do women live that much longer than men? I don't know. Right. If you think about it, not really. So In the United States, women tend to live four and a half years longer than men, not 20 years, like four and a half. Right. In England, the gender disparity is just two years. Oh, wow. But dementia is the number one cause of death for women and not for men, even though the difference is about two years. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that Alzheimer's is not a disease of old age. We tend to associate it with the elderly because the symptoms Mm -hmm. develop as people get older. But in truth... Alzheimer's starts with negative changes in the brain years, if not decades, prior to clinical symptoms. And what we have done by using brain scans was really to show how if you look at the crucial period of midlife, which is like 40 to 60, Mm -hmm. women with an Alzheimer's predisposition start to show the clinical, not the clinical, but the, the brain symptoms, the brain changes of Alzheimer's earlier than men and specifically during menopause. 
Interesting. So it's more of a hormonal thing that is causing this? That's also kind of our theory, and this is something that we're trying to really explore more. Mm-hmm. It looks like the changes that take place in the brain during menopause may kind of set off the Alzheimer's process in women. Okay. So it, it gives us a bit of a timeline to really start looking for signs of higher risk in women, which really shifts the, the age bar from 70 all the way back to 50. Right. The average age of menopause is 50. However, almost 10% of all menopausal women go through menopause in their 40s before age 45. Wow. So there's a big range of when the symptoms can occur. And now a word from our sponsor. You guys, I'm obsessed with socks. I don't know if you can tell that from my Instagram, but I wear socks with everything. I have this weird thing where I don't really like my ankle showing, even if I'm wearing pants. Like, I just always want to be covered. And I recently discovered Bombas, and I'm obsessed with them. They are so cute. They come in, like, really cute colors, really cute patterns. They're super comfortable. They have this, like, special cushioning that really just feels good on my feet. They are real, real, real good quality. Like you can just feel it in the stretch. And they also have a philanthropic mission. So they're basically the best. They're made from super soft, natural cotton. And every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy, but not too thick. It's really, really amazing on the feet. I know I sound like overly excited about socks, but it's I just love them. I can't I can't explain it. For every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. I love them. Okay. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash withwit today and get 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bombas.com, B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash withwit for 20% off. One more time, bombas.com slash withwit. Happy shopping. You guys will thank me. And now back to our chat. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson. And this is Work Party, a podcast for working women that support each other's successes. In each episode, we bring in leading female powerhouses for career, real talk, and BS-free advice. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. So before we really get into it, can you explain to us the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? Dementia is an umbrella term that includes different forms of diseases. And Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. Mm -hmm. But then we have other forms as well, like Lewy body dementia is one form. Frontotemporal dementia is a big one. Vascular dementia is another one. And sometimes they overlap. So dementia is more like a general term to define a decline in mental capacities. But Mm -hmm. then once you specify the actual pathology, you're more specific. So Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is a very kind of, a very specific form Mm -hmm. of dementia. And it is a very genetic disease, correct? Like if our... That's what I thought. That's what I thought when I started looking into that. I really started looking at biology and Mm -hmm. genetics Mm -hmm. and what in your DNA could potentially explain family history of Alzheimer's. But then it turns out that less than 2% of all Alzheimer's patients are genetically determined. Only 2% or less. 
So there are genetic mutations that cause Alzheimer's. Okay. And those are very rare. Mm -hmm. They're found on one of three genes. And if you do have the mutation, what happens is then you tend to develop Alzheimer's at a very young age, like in your 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. But that's really only found in less than 2% of all Alzheimer's patients. Okay. For the other 98%, there is no specific mutation that is causative of Alzheimer's. We have risk factors. We have genetic risk factors. Right. And then there's a whole environment and lifestyle component, which is good news. Right. Because we have control. The over things that we can do to stop it from happening. Are there tests that we can do early on to show if we have those mutations or not? Yes. If one, uh, if a family member has the mutation. Yes. So the tests are available. Okay. For a number of reasons that range from ethical to practical to uh, medical insurance coverage and da-da-da-da. You as a non-symptomatic person, so if you don't have Alzheimer's, but a family member has an early onset form of Alzheimer's, then the family member with Alzheimer's disease needs to be tested first. Okay. If they show that if it turns out that they have a genetic mutation, then you can also request to get tested. Okay. If the information is not available in your family, you are not really in a position to take the test unless you have the symptoms, So, which if, I find bizarre. Right. So if my grandmother had it, then my mom your could mom take could the take test it. to see if she had it. And then you could take it too. Right. You know, it seems like there's so little research in this and that you started getting into this and you were really overwhelmed by how very little research there was and why this wasn't something that was being studied and explored so much further. So why do you think that is? I mean, especially when it affects so many women, you know? Yes, I do. (laughs) You're like, that's what I've spent my life trying to figure out. I totally agree with you. And it is really bizarre. I think it's in part because people really believed that the higher prevalence in women was just a result of longevity. Mm-hmm. And now it turns out it's not. Mm-hmm. And then we need to, to really look at specific risk factors that set off Alzheimer's in women. And they're most likely different from those that really trigger Alzheimer's in men. Okay. How do you feel like you are catalyzing a change in women's research? How how are you making a difference here? You know, what is the mark that you're trying to leave, especially in in terms of dementia and Alzheimer's? I'm really focused on women's brains, which I think is quite unique. Mm-hmm. And just a couple of years ago, I launched the Women's Brain Initiative at Wild Carnet Medicine, which mm-hmm. is a research program entirely dedicated to really understanding how brain health plays out differently in women Mm -hmm. than in men. Mm -hmm. We work with with women, we work with men. And I think what's really novel about our approach is that we do a ton of brain scans. And brain scans are really so important, I believe, for prevention. Mm -hmm. And starting at what age do you recommend getting brain scans? We are just now starting at 35. No way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be 35 this year. Count to the clinic. Oh gosh, time <laughs> Can't get for a, a brain scan. scan. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It used to be 40. Okay. And I finally decided, no, we're going to go younger because it's just so important. It's really so important. And what can a brain scan tell you besides either having the mutation or showing certain signs of of what will soon to be dementia, Alzheimer's, like how does our, you know, this medical report card 
then affect our chances of getting dementia? Mm -hmm. You know, like what would you tell me on my, not that you've seen obviously my scan right now, but what are you looking for? And then after that, what are some things that we should be doing in order to prevent these things from happening? Mm -hmm. I actually, I love looking at brains. I've been doing it for literally 20 years. I I was 18 when I started. Wow. Yeah. I was fortunate. My my mom is a nuclear physicist. Okay. And so she put me in touch with the nuclear medicine department and I started looking at brains. And what I think is the best thing to do, and that's actually what we do with all our patients and participants, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that we look at the number of things. We want to get a really strong baseline, especially for the younger participants. Just... This is your brain at your best. Yes. Right? And we want to make sure that it stays like that or that the changes are minimal. Mm -hmm. And we look at a ton of things very quickly, which I I love. We're we're now able to condense like seven different scans in almost one hour. Wow. It's very quick. Mm -hmm. We look at things like, well, brain shrinkage Mm -hmm. is a big thing that is a risk factor for Alzheimer's. This is a red flag because it looks like your neurons are not there anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's quite uh, important okay. to look at. And, then and when you're at, comparing though, real quick, like how often are, are we now supposed to be getting these scans? Every year, every five years in order to, or maybe it's dependent on what the first brain scan shows. Yes, that's yeah. a good point. Okay. Um, I would say at your age, mm-hmm. every three years okay. is plenty of time because the changes are going to be very, very slow, if okay. any. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there are, yes, yeah, exactly. But in order to catch a change, it takes a little while. So I would say three years is a good amount of time. Okay. For older patients, sometimes it's two years, depending on their baseline. Like okay. Right. Sometimes they're going to try to do one year. Okay. Yes. It's really, we really try to personalize what we're doing, all the assessments, and really also make them sustainable. Like I can't ask people to come to us every six months. Right. So it needs to make sense. It right. It needs to be doable. Right. Mm-hmm. So we look at that. We look at inflammation in the brain. We look, there are a lot of things that can happen to brains that nobody usually talks about. Mm-hmm. And they're quite common. I, I can't believe, I can't even begin to tell you how often people have brain tumors and they don't know. Wow. Older people don't know. Right, right, right. But yes, yeah, so around age 50 with menopause, the chance of a woman getting a brain tumor popping in the brain is much higher than prior to menopause mm-hmm. and it's higher than in men. Wow. So it's something that we always screen for because depending on the location or these meningiomas, they're called, it can really impact your cognitive performance. Okay. And then maybe a woman is terrified of getting Alzheimer's and instead there's something pushing on your brain that we can just remove mm-hmm. or treat. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing to screen for. Okay. Vascular damage is a huge one. Stroke microbleeds, white matter lesions. There are so many things that we look for Mm -hmm. and that we can treat immediately. Right. So that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. And then we do more research scans. So we want to look at brain energy levels, which is something I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. Blood flow to the brain, which Mm -hmm. is really important for cognition and memory performance. We look at connectivity in the brain. So how well your brain regions are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And then we do PET scans, positron emission tomography scans, to look at how fast the brain is burning glucose to make energy and mitochondrial activity. Okay. And then we look at whether or not the person has Alzheimer's plaques. 
Okay. So we do a ton of skins. What are some of the lifestyle habits that you feel women should really incorporate in order to maintain healthy brains? You know, assuming I get the scan this year and everything looks okay, what are the most important things that we really should be doing? I think there are eight main things that every woman can do. Okay. And I think choosing which one to start from is very personal. Okay. Based on research. Mm -hmm. Uh, The type and the amount of physical activity that really benefits the brain varies by age, especially for women. Right. And again, menopause is a big thing because before menopause, we have a lot of estrogens and estrogens are activating and energizing hormones. So you can go faster and longer. After menopause, which is again around age 50, mm-hmm. it is okay to slow down. Mm-hmm. I think the brain, is the, the brain and also the body are kind of asking some women, not all, right. to just do perhaps something more gentle, mm-hmm. a form of exercise. So mm-hmm. it's not really the intensity that seems to matter as much as consistency. Okay. And most research is pointing to three to five sessions a week of about 30 to 45 minutes. That makes sense. Yes, I think it's really keep your body moving. And it's not about necessarily going to the gym if you don't like to. Like right. in many European countries, nobody goes to goes the, the gym. gym. <laughs> right. But it's about just keeping your body moving. Like take take the stairs instead of the elevator. Mm-hmm. Walk home mm-hmm. instead of taking the car. Or mm-hmm. Just run after your kids or go for a walk in the park. Just keep your body going. Right. So that seems to be a big Vegan. Okay. So first is physical activity and then diet. Diet. So just baseline diet recommendations yes. you have. There's a lot of research and a lot of information on diet. Mm-hmm. And there are so many trends, mm-hmm. right? So Too have- many. It <laughs> can get confusing for people. And that's why I feel like it's so great to have experts like you who can really simplify it. What's really important is understanding what kind of nutrients mm-hmm. are most supportive of women's health mm-hmm. overall. And I think the research has pointed to three main okay. nutrients that okay. I personally don't care what kind of diet anybody's on. Mm-hmm. But it's really important to have these nutrients in the diet. Okay. And believe it or not, number one is fiber. Interesting. Yes. Fiber is super important for hormonal health. Okay. Because fiber regulates a molecule that is called the sex hormone binding globulin. Uh-huh. And this molecule is in charge of regulating or hormone levels in blood, like estrogens as well. Okay. So it really has a good stabilizing effect on the hormones. So it's something you want to have and it's good for you. It comes mostly from fruits and veggies. And if you eat grains, whole grains, Mm -hmm. if you don't eat them, then try legumes or sweet Mm -hmm. potatoes. But fiber is something really important for for women. Okay. Number two is antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Blueberries. Blueberries. Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate. You know, blackberries actually have more antioxidants than blueberries. Oh, interesting. They don't get enough attention. They do not get enough attention. Blueberries take all the antioxidant spotlight. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Goji berries are really good. Okay. I was actually eating dark chocolate goji berries for dessert last night. I love them. Yes. And they say on the package, it's a superfood snack. So I said, okay, I don't feel so guilty about eating these for dessert. Also, goji berries are an incredibly concentrated source of vitamin C. Oh, okay. Great. So you get the antioxidants. Two Two for one. Which is perfect. And then vitamin E is also really, really important. And for... Any woman who's over 40 and is going to start thinking about, well, at some point they'll go through menopause. Mm-hmm. Vitamin E is actually scientifically proven to really help with hot flashes. Ooh. It's the only vitamin that was shown in clinical trial to really lead to benefits. So, so I just want to put it out there in case somebody, or maybe they're your mom, you know, somebody right. is going through that. Needs right. To know. 
So what kind of foods would vitamin E be in? Or is it something that we should be taking a supplement for? I think foods are always better Mm -hmm. than supplements. Mm -hmm. Um, Almonds are a good source. Flex seeds are an excellent source. Extra virgin olive oil, Mm -hmm. good source. Yeah. Good. So yes. It's, Those it's are fun. good, easy things that we can definitely put into our diet on a regular basis. For sure. I mean, as long as we just cook with olive oil, that's yes. we're still getting the and benefit, salads, right? Yes. Soups. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So physical activity, diet, diet. mental stimulation okay. is a very good one. So there's there's this saying that I really like that learning is to your brain what exercise is to your body. Mm-hmm. So the brain does act like a muscle and you really need to stimulate those neurons and make them fire mm-hmm. for them to remain strong mm-hmm. and resilient. Mm-hmm. And the best way to have your neurons fire is to learn something new. So for example, if you like to watch movies, watch a documentary or a TED talk mm-hmm. where you're learning something new mm-hmm. or um, read a book. Read a book. Or if you're good at playing Chess, for example, mm-hmm. playing more chess will not help you nearly as much as learning another game will. Right. So just challenge your brain. Just okay. keep him mentally active. What about just conversation with other people? You yeah. Know? If you're learning something from the conversation, I think that's good too. Okay. That qualifies. Yeah. Okay. So if it's just like chatting, yeah. maybe not as <laughs> not much. Not just gossiping. That's good for the heart. <laughs> just, yeah. Okay. All right. Then sleep and stress okay. are really big ones. And I, I, I would point out the stress is a problem for Everybody, of course, but it's perhaps even more of an issue for women that mm-hmm. we just don't talk about mm-hmm. because there's there are brain imaging studies showing how if you have chronic stress in your life, it really starts taking a toll on your brain and memory performance mm-hmm. as soon as you turn fifty. Mm-hmm. However, that's much more pronounced in women than in men. So women who are very very stressed out, they just have a lot of stress in their lives. Mm-hmm. Their brains shrink much earlier on in life than than the men do. Even if the men are experiencing the same amount of stress or more, the stress actually affects women more. It looks like that, yes. Interesting. Especially if you have very high cortisol levels in blood, which is something you can measure, which is good to know. It's something we do all the time, Mm C-reactive protein and cortisol levels. Because cortisol can literally steal your hormones because they work in balance. So if your cortisol goes up, your estrogens go down. If cortisol goes down as your stress leaves your body, then your hormones go back up, your estrogens go back up. So it's really important to reduce stress. It doesn't just save your day. It also right. really helps your brain. Right. And we've talked about so many ways, especially on this podcast, how to alleviate stress. I mean, that's something that we talk about all the time, whether that's through physical activity, communication, meditating, getting outside, eating appropriately. I mean, they're all part of the same equation. Yes, absolutely. I think it, it, we really need to have a holistic approach mm-hmm. to lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important to think about your own self-care and well-being. Mm-hmm. And stress is such a big problem for everybody. There's actual evidence from the CDC, from the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, that women suffer the most stress between the ages of 25 and 44. Interesting. Yes, it peaks around 34. Well, that's around my age. I just thought about it. Oh my gosh, I'm going to tell my husband that and explain to him why I've been such a monster lately. I mean, I can understand it. It's a time in our lives when so much is expected from us. We're expected to start to be mothers, to be married, 
to have, you know, successful careers, to have beautiful homes, to look a certain way, even though we're starting to look old. You know, there's all these things happening at once that totally make sense to me. Communication is really proven to be important for brain health mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? So people who feel like they have a good, strong support system, and they have the lowest rates of dementia relative to people who do not feel like they're supported in their society. Interesting. Yes. And it's not about the quantity of supporters. Right. It's more about how solid your your the backup system is. feels. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Okay, so did we go through all eight of them? That was physical activity, um, food. We're missing learning, two more. stress, sleep. Well, we just mentioned networks, which is another one I was yeah. thinking. Okay. Your support system and just feeling part of society, of mm-hmm. a supportive society. And then I have mm-hmm. two more. Okay. Mm. One is just regular medical assessments. Okay. Especially for those who either have a medical condition that could potentially affect brain health, like mm-hmm. heart disease, diabetes, or obesity, and thyroid disease for women. Okay. And depression as well, especially okay. for women. Mm-hmm. And those who might be at risk. And then the last point would be avoiding toxins. Okay. That's what I was going to ask next was what can we take out of our yes. yeah, in, lives? In, in my books, processed food is considered a potential toxin okay. because there are all these chemicals that we know have a negative effect on health, mm-hmm. not just for our bodies, but also for our brains. And okay. especially for women, there are a ton of studies showing how our consumption of processed food really correlates with a much higher risk of cancer, mm-hmm. for example, breast cancer, mm-hmm. higher risk of dementia, mm-hmm. heart disease, stroke, depression, and infertility. So that's got to go. I would say so that's what my number specifically, one thing Right. So what specifically in processed foods should we not be looking, you know, should yeah. we be looking for? Like when we're looking at the back of a package of something, mm. should we not even be looking for anything in packages? <laughs> I would just know do processed food as much as possible. However, yeah. there are different degrees of processing, mm-hmm. right? Even just dried apples are processed in a mm-hmm. way because mm-hmm. it's the apple that's been changed. However, that's minimal, mm-hmm. right? The problem is fast All the food, added. mostly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or when you get a box of something at the expiration date is 30 years from now. Right. Canned soups mm-hmm. or pasta that you're supposed to be cooking in those little plastic containers. Mm-hmm. And then the chemicals in the plastic are going to be leaked they're going to leak inside your food as Mm -hmm. you microwave the plastic, which is Mm -hmm. like the worst thing you can do possibly. So I would say try to avoid processed foods and fast foods Mm -hmm. as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And also stay away from plastic. Okay. You're finding that the earlier that people can lead these kind of healthy lives, that the less chances that they have for dementia are are actually less? I mean, yes, it really yeah. seems to it really seems to help. We just published a clinical trial from our clinic, the Alzheimer's okay. Prevention Clinic at uh-huh. Walker now, showing how these risk reduction techniques mm-hmm. really help at the very least maintain cognitive health over time. Mm-hmm. And they also really reduce biomarkers of future Alzheimer's risk, like all these things that we can measure in your blood, cognitively through cognitive testing. Mm-hmm. They really improved in the patients who really follow directions. Yes. And do not improve nearly as much or actually got worse than those who pretty much didn't do what we were suggesting to do. Right, right. So I, I see it happen. I mean, we have patients who 
come to us the first time and you can tell they're not healthy and mm-hmm. they can't think straight and mm-hmm. they perform terribly on cognitive testing. And mm-hmm. then our doctors will come in and do all their assessments, perhaps to do brain scans with me if they want to, or if it's recommended, they will do brain scans with, with us. And then they, they get put on the treatment plan, which is individualized. We mm-hmm. use a precision medicine approach, which is very fancy, if you will, mm-hmm. but it's really nice. I mm-hmm. think it makes a lot of sense. We try to make it as doable as possible for everyone. And then we see the patients every six months for clinical follow-ups, brain okay. scans every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And over time, very often, I mean, they walk in the door and they're like, whoa, look at you. I mean, they, they have transformed. Wow. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but for those where you can actually see the transformation and they talk to you and they're just sharper. Mm-hmm. You know that something is really, really working. working. The more women demand information about their brains, the sooner we'll be able to really come up with a solution, not just mm-hmm. for Alzheimer's disease, but for just women's brain health mm-hmm. as a whole. And I, I do strongly believe that brain health is women's health. Mm-hmm. So where can we find more resources on brain health and learn more to know what we actually should be doing and empower ourselves with this information? There are quite a few resources. I think that my new book, The XX Brain, in my opinion, is a very comprehensive resource because mm-hmm. it's really it's really a summary of all the knowledge that we have in the field. And it's really based on my own experience as a scientist, a neuroscientist devoted to Alzheimer's and women's brains. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, you know, I really wanted to, to have the right information for myself and then right. to share with others. And then I, I really took the research out of the lab it made it actionable and accessible to everyone. So that it isn't so scary and it's, it's more accessible. And oh, it, sure. it empowers people to actually make changes so that yes. they don't have to one day work backwards. Right, right. absolutely. And then I think the National Institute of Health has okay. a lot of good resources also okay. for women. And the American Society, of, the North American Society of Menopause. Okay. And that is interested in menopause, they have fantastic resources. Mm-hmm. Well, I we'll think put, that's a good start. Yeah, we'll put links for all of this in the bio of this podcast episode. But I guess I would just leave off on what are, you know, some of the symptoms that we can look out for? You know, when, if it does run in our family, if we know our, our mothers are possibly prone to this or have the mutation, or even if not, what are some things that are symptoms or signs that, you know, as their children, we can be looking out for to take in order to take charge, yeah. Absolutely. So for the parents, I would say uh, memory lapses is something Mm -hmm. that many people are scared of, Mm -hmm. but very often it's just a sign of aging. Right. So the real problem seems to be when you're forgetting what things are for. The problem is not as much if you lose your keys or misplace your keys. Mm -hmm. The problem is really when you forget what you're supposed to be doing with your keys. When you kind of lose the connection with the reality of your surroundings. That's, you mean that's that the keys problem. are meant to be to open used a for door. driving? Okay. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that you've misplaced them. Okay. Right. Okay. That seems to be the turning point. Mm-hmm. That's a little late, mm-hmm. honestly. So what I would suggest, if any parents are open to these, if there's any concern because of family history, I would mm-hmm. say get tested. Right. Okay. There are many research centers to do cognitive testing in people without any symptoms of Alzheimer's. And I think that's a really good way to start. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's so important no matter what, is that any time that you find anything missing, whether it's in yourself or not even missing, but something different, whether it's in yourself or in a parent or a loved one, that there's no harm in just going to get it checked. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, we thank you for so much. Me. Your work is so important. So we thank appreciate you. it. Where can we find your book and more about you? So my book comes out March 10th. And it can be found on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Okay. Most bookstores. And about me, uh, if anybody would like to connect, I'm on Instagram. I always say I'm too sensitive for Twitter. That's okay. <laughs> I don't really do Twitter either. But what's your Instagram account? Uh, it's Dr. D-R underscore Moscone, M-O-S-C-O-N-I. Okay. And then my website would be lisamoscone.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.